Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So we come now to the time in our service in which we hear and receive the word of God and I invite those who are able to stand as we hear our word from Luke chapter 22 verses 32 through 38. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray that your word and your truth and your insight would be upon us this day and in the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's something about these words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, that has just captured my attention all week. What did Jesus mean when he said these words, Father, forgive them for I do not know what they are doing? And and when I planned this sermon a while ago, I, I went with the title, When I Am Wrong, Give Me Jesus. We've been in this sermon series about looking at different times in which we need Jesus. And so when I am wrong, give me Jesus. Uh, I was talking with my wife, Heather, yesterday. She said, Aaron, what are you preaching on tomorrow? So I told her the title. I said, when I am wrong, give me Jesus. I said, it's a hypothetical sermon. (laughs) All right. The early service laughed harder than you all did. So, uh, yeah. Um, But as I was thinking about this idea of wrong, I, I, uh, I was a psychology undergraduate, and, um, and I came across the Milgram experiment, one of the most uh, famous psychological experiments that are out there. Some of you um, may be familiar with it. Um, some of you have already forgotten your um, intro to, to psych class, but the Milgram experiment is a fascinating one about human behavior and who does wrong and what is wrong. And so what it was is it was an experiment, and they brought in these um, individuals, and they were uh, supposed to be, they were finding out what, how do people um, answer questions when they have experienced pain? How do we answer questions when we experience pain is what they said the research was about. But really it was about what kind of behavior do people do when they are prompted to do it. And so what happened would be they would have two people who would come in and one person went into a room and they were the shock E. They were the person who would receive shocks when they got a question wrong. And the other persons were the shockers. And they were told that if the person answered the question wrong, that they were to press the button and they would be hit with an electrocution shock. This sounds like fun, doesn't it? 
All right, and what would happen would be it started at 15 volts and went all the way up to 450 volts, and each time they got one wrong, they would increase the electric shock. Now, they weren't really shocking the person, but they didn't know that because the person in the other room was given instructions about what to do after they were allegedly shocked. And so um, at, at, at 75 volts, the person who was being shocked was supposed to begin to grunt, at 120 volts, they were beginning to complain. They were asked to be released from the experiment at 150 volts. They, they increased and pleaded with vigor. They were supposed to let out agonizing screams at 285 volts. Eventually, in desperation, they were to yell loudly and complain of heart pains. And then finally, they were just to be silent. Now, the people who were doing the shocking were told that if the person did not answer, it was to be treated as a wrong answer, and they were to give them an electric shock. Now, it, now I don't know much about electric voltage and all that sort of stuff, so what they did was to help people understand the significance of their actions, they had signs that would tell people, like, at the beginning it said slight shock, and then moderate shock, and then strong shock, and then very strong shock and then intense shock, and then extreme intensity shock. And the last two were danger, severe shock, and the last one just had XXX. And, they were to, and then if the people pushed back, there was a, a teacher, there was a guide in the room who would just encourage them. They had four prompts that would say, hey, you're supposed to keep doing this. It's your job to do this, all this sort of stuff. So the question that I want you to think about is what percentage of people went all the way to the 450 voltage of shock with everything that was said and everything that was done? What percentage of people do you think, all right, would, would go all the way? 65%. Now, I probably should have told you at the beginning that they were all males. That might have changed your percentage a little bit. <laughs> All right, and it surely is a shocking experiment, right? The dad jokes are strong this morning, y'all. 65% went all the way to 450 volts, even when the person was silent, even when it said extreme danger and shock. And it made me sort of wonder, and, and sometimes when I think about, about why people do what they do, I, I think sometimes things aren't as simple as we imagine them to be. What is wrong? Who is wrong? Who was in the wrong there? Were they just doing what they were told or was there something else? And I wonder how much of our, of our sinful behavior is, is, is sinful systems and other things that play into factors that contribute me and you to doing things that we shouldn't do that harm ourselves and harm other people. And uh, as I was uh, working on this, I, I thought about um, a video that I had seen before and uh, uh, it may look somewhat familiar to you all as well. Hey babe, did you say you were gonna make dinner? I can't remember. What? I just wish you would take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know. What? I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and unpack the dishwasher, cook dinner, put the washing on. And you know what? I just can't live like this anymore. It's not Hey, me. hey, hey. Just relax. It's gonna be okay. How? Here. I'll just show you. Okay, I've been doing this since we got married. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what it is, but anytime you put dirty clothes in this basket, 
The next day, they're clean, folded, and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either. But it just keeps happening. And I didn't tell you because I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Well, you try it. Uh, unless it's only chosen me. I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything that I leave on this coffee table, it just vanishes overnight. I mean, sometimes I'll see how far I can push this thing, and I just leave stuff everywhere. But then sure enough, the next day, it's all gone. It just vanished. It's magic. Hey babe, make sure you don't leave my All Blacks jersey on it. The women seem to be laughing harder than the men at this one. This magic coffee table. Right now, as I, as I think about it, and again, I was a psychology undergraduate, so I'm always interested in human behavior. And I, I wonder, you know, uh, now obviously the guy was dense, right? Um, but, but sometimes we train people to expect or do things, and then when they continue to do them, we are shocked and appalled, Right? Uh, and that we are surprised that their behavior is in a certain way because they've been trained to do it. And when I think about sin, and when I think about wrong, and when I think about what happens, I think one of the questions we have to ask for is, what is sin? What is it that is actually sinful, and what are the, some of the definitions of, of sin? Now, you probably have a definition of sin um, in your mind, but I want to run through some definitions of sin so that we can begin to ask the question more and more, what did Jesus come to forgive, and how does Jesus work? All right, and so these are some different definitions of sin. This first one is what I found um, when I Googled the definition of sin from the, the dictionary, that sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. A moral act, an immoral act considered to be a transgression against the divine law. Now, one of the ways that we understand sin in the way it's used in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek is it's really this idea of missing the mark. Um, think of it more like archery, that you have a bullseye on a target, and when you miss the mark, all right, that, that you are sinning. Um, one way that I've described sin over the years is that sin is choosing to do what I wanted instead of what God wants. It's about my choices in the matter um, when I put myself as the ruler and authority of all. Um, in the recovery community, um, my sponsor has told me that, that sin is an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. That sin is an illegitimate way um, to meet a legitimate need. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. Um, Susanna Wesley, who's sort of the mother of Methodism, she says that anything that weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or lessens your relish for spiritual things. In short, that which empowers the flesh over the spirit is sin to you, no matter how good it is in itself. Anything that empowers the flesh over the spirit. Oswald Chamber, who's um, most known for my utmost for his highest, a really popular daily devotional, he says that sin is my claim to my right to myself. 
It's when I say that this is what is my right, this is what I should do, and I'm claiming that authority to myself. But if I was to to think of anything, I would think that, that sin is really about our desire to be our own God. It's our desire to determine our rules, to determine what's right or wrong, and to do it ourselves. Now, one of the things I know about sin is it's more than just our actions. Oftentimes, we think of sin as the things that we do, all right? And so we, we aren't supposed to do these sort of things. But Jesus makes clear that our intent matters as well. Um, I think about in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who has lusted after a woman has committed adultery in her heart. It's about what happens on the inside, not just on the outside. He says that whoever, um, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say anybody who has gotten angry with a brother or sister, he says there's a, a Greek word called raka, um, which means you fool. Anybody who says you fool, has already committed anger in their heart. And I would imagine that some of you um, committed sin on your way to church this morning. Somebody pulled out in the driveway or in your neighborhood or on 152. I know that never happens to me. And I think, you fool, how dare you do that, right? That's why I'm glad I just have a three-minute commute. It keeps me from sinning. But that it, what we understand about sin is that it's our action, it's our behavior, it's our orientation to do things that don't align with what God would have us to do. Um, and as I was thinking about sin, I was wrestling with this idea of how do I understand the different ways in which I sin? So one of my practices is I meet once, once a week with um, a couple of other friends and we answer the question, what known sins have you committed since we last met? Now, one of the things that I like about it is it's a discipline of me being aware of my own sin in my life. And because I keep this discipline of being aware of my own sinfulness in my life, I realize that there are some things that I did not realize were sins until after years of looking at myself. Until after week by week asking the question that God has graciously said, oh, Aaron, you realize that what you did is not what you're supposed to be doing. That, that thought pattern that you have, that's not okay. And so it takes time for us to have the discipline of thinking about our own sinfulness, but I don't really like it, and I'm guessing most of you don't as well. We don't like sitting around and thinking about our sins. We don't like sitting around and thinking about our failures. We don't like sitting around and thinking about how we messed up. Most of us have some sort of goal in our life, which is to feel good about ourselves. And that thinking about our sin is not a pleasant thing, but actually it can be. Because when we think about sin, it always should be tied to God's grace and forgiveness. And so when we look inward at our own sin, we can also look inward at God's grace that is greater than our sin. And so we're called to look at ourselves and to look at our sins. And so I'm going to be talking about some different kinds of, of, of sins and some categories and some ways that I just tried to think through it. But I want to be very clear. This is not the sermon for you to think about the person who should be hearing this sermon. This isn't the sermon in which you should elbow the person sitting next to you to say, did you hear that? This is a sermon in which we're supposed to be looking at our own planks in our own eyes. That we're supposed to be looking inward and we're supposed to say, God, what are you doing in my heart? Not what are you doing out there. Not I hope they're listening. But Lord, what are you doing here? Because when we think about sin, our job and our goal is not to condemn others, 
but to receive God's truth about ourselves and also his mercy and grace. Because what we believe is that where there is sin, there is also forgiveness and that God is gracious to us. But he always invites us not just to receive forgiveness, but to go and sin no more. And so as I was thinking about this sermon, um, one of the things sometimes I like to do is I like to put things into a four-box chart, all right? Um, And so I want to just sort of, I want you to invite yourself to to join with me. Now, part of what I want to say is this is something I've thought about this week, but that's been it. I've never sort of categorized sin in this way. And so you all might say, Aaron, I agree with you, or Aaron, I disagree with you, but I just want us to think through about sins and how they work and present themselves in our life. And so on the y-axis, that's the one that goes up and down, um, we have awareness. How aware am I that my behavior, all right, is good or bad? On the x-axis, we have intention. Do I have, what level of intention do I have to do the wrong thing, all right? So we have my awareness, low or high, and we have the intention, low or high. And what I want us to do over this next little bit is to look at some of the characters in Holy Week and where their sins fit on this chart and what that means for us, all right? Um, And so in the first box, in the high awareness, high intention, all right, we have this idea of obstinance. Now, here's what we mean by that. Have you ever said, this is the wrong thing, but I'm doing it anyway? Of course you have. All right, there was a 90s country song. I'm old enough to know better, but I'm still too young to care. There's some of you who are like, I've been to church my whole life, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do anyways. And, and sometimes, and again, I know this has never happened to you, but you know the buttons to press to make somebody upset. And so hypothetically, you said, you know what? I know this is going to hurt them, but I'm going to do it anyways. I know the right thing to do. I'm aware that my behavior is not right, but I'm going to intend to do it anyways. This is obstinance. This is disobeying what is being. This is saying, I'm God and I don't care. My will will be done. Now, there's a couple of characters that fit in the midst of this in in the last week of Jesus. One of those is the Pharisees. Um, Because with the, the Pharisees, it was, I don't care we have our religion. I don't care what Jesus says. We must get rid of the enemy no matter what. Um, I was speaking with my dad between services, and he says, Pilate's the same way. My kingdom, my will, my rule, it doesn't matter. And so there are some sins that I do where I am fully aware that what I'm doing is wrong, and I don't care. And what happens is, is that we are really just trying to provoke Jesus, it seems like. And here, we are called to repentance. In fact, in all these levels of sins, we are called to repentance, and we are called to surrender our will. Because obstinate says, my will will be done, I don't care. But repentance says, Lord, your will be done. The Pharisees didn't do this. Pilate even didn't do this. He tried to wash his hands of it, but he still allowed the will of killing Jesus to be done. And so there are times in our lives in which our sins, you know the right thing to do and you do the opposite. And that means that you've said, and I've said, my will is more important than your will, Lord, and that I need to do this. And so when we have high awareness and high intention, we are obstinate. Now, sometimes 
all right? We have high intention. We know what we're doing, all right? Um, Or we have high intention to do what we're doing, but we have low awareness of the damage or that it is wrong. I call this desperation. How many of you have, when you look back in a season of your life or a time in your life when you've been desperate, you, um, you look back and you think, gosh, I did some really harmful and destructive things. Now, the example I think in the last week of, of the life of Jesus is Judas. Now, often um, we think about Judas as the one who betrayed Jesus. He turned Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. But I always, uh, for a long time, I was bothered because I didn't understand why would Judas do that? It didn't make any sense to me. Um, and I'm somebody who likes the world to make sense. Anybody else like that? It's like, oh, I've got to figure out how all these pieces fit together. And so uh, I, was, I was taught um, that, that Judas's actions may be more actions of desperation or selfishness, is another way to think about this box, than they were about him trying to get Jesus um, overturned. Instead, he wanted Jesus to do something Jesus wasn't ready or willing to do. And so part of the idea with Judas's behavior is that he expected, and when they were waving their palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord save us, they were expecting that Jesus would be the Messiah. He would be the new king over Israel, that they would, there would not be under Roman rule anymore, that there would be an earthly kingdom. And if you were one of his disciples, you got to be in the throne room with Jesus on earth. This is what all the disciples expected. But that is not what Jesus was doing. And so why did Judas betray Jesus but to jumpstart the revolution? He said, Jesus, if you're not going to start the revolution, we've been waiting too long. The time is now. If I, if I betray you and turn you over, if you get arrested, you will have no choice but to fight back. And so he forced Jesus's hand, or so he thought. And so in his desperation, he wasn't aware that what he was doing was going to lead to Jesus' death. But he was sure clear of what he was doing. And there are times in my life in which I choose, because I feel desperate, because I'm overwhelmed by my, by my shame or by my fear or other things, that in my desperation, I'm not always aware of how it's going to impact others or impact myself. But I'm thinking, this is the only way I know how to survive. And so I sin, I hurt myself, I hurt other people. And, and, and I hurt God. I, I break my covenant with God and I rely on my own will in my own way. This desperation says my way is better because it's the only way I can survive. And there are some times in which we sin or we look back at how we sin and we're desperate. And sometimes I have to check my own spirit because in desperation, I'm often believing the voice of fear. I'm often believing the, the high of, of some lie that's in my life instead of turning and trusting to Jesus. I want Jesus to do something, so I'm going to start it up. And so sometimes you and I, we sin because we're desperate. Now, sometimes um, I am highly aware of my own behavior, but I have a low intention that, that I'm going to do harm, and I'm calling this addiction. Now, let me explain a little bit more about this. Um, because I know, um, as, as, as somebody who's in recovery and has experienced addiction, I knew some of the things that I was doing were wrong, but I didn't want to hurt anybody, but I also didn't have control over it. In fact, it had control over me. If I would have stopped, I would have, st- if I could have stopped, I would have stopped a long time ago. 
And what I believe is that there are people who are in this room, statistically a good amount of people who are in this room, shockingly more than you would imagine, who are struggling under addictive sin. And, 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 and the way I know it's addictive sin is if you could have stopped it, you would have stopped it already. That thing that you know that you're doing that's wrong, that drink that you pour, that sight that you look up, that anger that controls you, if you could have stopped it already, you would have. You're addicted. You are a captive to sin. Now, in the story of the last week of Jesus, for me, this is Peter. Because when, when he was following Jesus at a distance and these people asked him, aren't you one of this man's disciples? His instant reaction that I don't think he really had control over was no. He could not have stopped himself. He automatically answered, I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. And it wasn't until the rooster crowed that he was even, that he, it really triggered in him that what he was doing was denying Jesus and was sinful. And so I think that there are some of us who, who the behavior that we do, um, we don't even realize what we're doing sometimes. We don't have an intent to harm or to hurt or other such stuff, but it has a hold over us. If you can't stop it, it is going to run through your life until something happens. Until you surrender or you hit rock bottom. That's the nature of addictions. And this is where um, that definition of sin is an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. What I've seen time and time again in, um, as, I've, as I've walked my road, as I've walked roads with other people, is that oftentimes our addictive behaviors are our attempts to control something we can't control or our attempts to feel better about ourselves because we can't feel that way or we don't want to feel anything at all. And so our addictions are our solutions to our problem of pain that we don't know how to handle or manage. And so if you're struggling with an addiction today, if you're struggling with something that is controlling you that you can't control, the answer is surrendering to Jesus because he can take and heal whatever that is. And the words of Jesus are the same. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know the harm they're doing to themselves, to their family, to other people. There's great words of grace for all of us. Now, there's also this last box, this low intention and low awareness. And, and, and this is really the saying of ignorance. Um, and that, that there are, we, you and I, we have times in which we don't know what we're doing is wrong. I think that this was, um, in, in some ways, the behavior of uh, the magic coffee table. He didn't know that, that, he was his, that he was just making his wife's life miserable. I don't think. I think he was just participating in what he thought was going on. I, I think it's the same thing with our Milgram experiment. I think it's the same thing with the Roman soldiers who were playing a game of dice for Jesus' clothes, who were mocking him and torturing him. They were just following orders. They were just participating in the Roman system of evil that was happening. It was just another crucifixion for them. And they were just doing their job. And there are some times in which I am just participating in what is going on. And we have all been in a situation, I think, where, where we have found ourselves participating in an unchristlike situation and in an unchristlike manner. I think about a mob mentality that sometimes can happen and all of a sudden we get swept up and we're doing things we didn't realize to do. Or we're involved in an echo chamber and, and we're able to, to cast ourselves as the good and cast the others as the evil and we feel good about ourselves and we participate in that. 
and we have an ignorance to our own sin and to our own brokenness. We don't feel like we have a choice in the matter, but we always have a choice to submit to the authority of Jesus in every matter. And so part of this is to realize that you and I, we all have blind spots, and to invite God to show us our blind spots. And in our story that we see here in the Gospels, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit, the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two and there was an earthquake over the land. A centurion who was one of the Roman soldiers and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened and they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. The same people who mocked him, who betrayed, the same people who put the crown of thorns on his head, they recognized that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. And he does what he says he does, and his grace is greater than you and I can imagine. And so his words to, his, to the people who were there were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And those are the words that he is proclaiming over us today. Now, there are times in which the words of Jesus are, Father, forgive them because they knew what they did and they shouldn't have done it, but they did it anyways. There's grace for that. Father, forgive them when they're more concerned about their way and they're acting desperately to survive. Father, forgive them when they're caught as captives and addicts. Father, forgive them when they do not know what they do. And so I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And, and my guess is, and my hope is, is that um, the Lord is bringing something to light that needs to be in light. Maybe it is your obstinate spirit that says, I'm going to do it my way no matter what. If that's you, you need to turn. This, we have this word called repentance. Now, repentance is not just being sorry for the things that you've done. It's being sorry that you are the kind of person who would do such a thing. Sometimes we want the idea of if I just confess it and I move on, I'll be okay, but that's not gospel because then you're still a slave to it. It's about saying, Lord, I want to turn my life around. When I am wrong, give me Jesus. When I've messed up, no matter what category it's in, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you enlighten me to see how my actions are affecting other people? Would you help me to see what I cannot see? And Jesus is gracious because the truth is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the invitation to Jesus is repent and come near to him. And that means to change direction and to walk in the way, to strive for the mark. But when I don't pay attention or when I try not to focus on my own sin, when I think about the sins of others more than I think about the sins of myself, I will not be aware of what God wants to do in my life. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to this week. So I want you to just ask the question every day, what known sins have I committed today? At the end of the day, during this holy week, to just look at it. And I want you to think more deeply than just the wrong things you said that you shouldn't have said. I want you to think more deeply um, than just, oh, that stupid person on the interstate, there I go again. I called him stupid, right? I want you to think, where is my heart not aligned with God? Where have I missed the mark? Where have I chosen my will? 
Where have I wanted to hear the voice that makes me feel good instead of the voice that wants to make me good? And then be open to the words of Jesus that says, Father, forgive them. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.